All right, thanks guys. Good things. Lord, we thank you for this day that we could be gathered together in your name and that you're with us and amongst us and that your word is truth and it is life and it is light to our path. I ask that it would un- unfold in front of us, that we would see you. Even in any way we've misconceived you, any of us, that we would see you accurately without a filter over the lens, but we'd see you as you truly are to be transformed into that same image and to fulfill our purpose as your imagers in this world. Amen. Amen. Cool. I love to hear that. And I've, I've loved what Amanda and a lot, of, a lot of the workers back there have done as far as like, instead of ingraining kids with things that they're going to have to unlearn, you know what I mean? In order to actually connect to God as he truly is. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, starting them off on a foundation that's pure. Yeah. So, James 1, 17, Amanda actually just quoted it. Every good and gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Um, God's always good, and He's always been this way. And He's not bipolar. There's not the harsh side, you know what I mean? The wrathful side. And the good side. He's always one way. He is good and he is light. And if he's the father of lights, what's that make us? Yeah, that's not a trick question. Like the lights of the world, like Jesus said, you know. And um, it's it's so very important. A a way I often like to, to start. I was praying for our family in Afghanistan this morning a little bit. And I started to, for some reason, the scripture was coming to mind. In John 1 5 that says and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it did not overcome it that John 1 and and we understand especially if you come here for for a while that John 1 is our Genesis it's the beginning of this thing and and when John wrote this the closest to the Lord the one who actually went into a heavenly experience with him and saw him as he truly was truly is he comes back and, 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 he, and he forecasts this truth that James, the half-brother Jesus, said, you know, there's no variance, no shadow, no turning. He is God, and he's one with God, right? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word was also God. That's a mind-bender a little bit if you allow yourself to think about it, you know what I mean? But, um, But the reality is he was with God, but he was also God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And so we have this perfect layer of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void and darkness was over the face of the the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. The communication of God. Creation. He saw that the light was good. It says he divided, separated the light from the darkness. He desires a distinction right we are called to carry that distinction in the world who's misconstrued who god is through the poison of the knowledge of good and evil the poison that came from the fruit of that fall that caused confusion and caused shame to come into the world caused them leaves them fig leaves that 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 bikini that you know eve sewed up and 
and that speedo that Adam sewed up to cover themselves up with them fig leaves, right? You know, it's like there's this reality. God, the creator, created and said, let there be light. He saw the light was good and he divided the two. It's so very simple, but it's Christianity 101. And then John, the beloved, as he calls, he lost his identity. He calls himself the disciple of Jesus' love. Think about what this actually entails for us. Being so consumed with the reality that you're covered in love that you don't even look at yourself anymore. And you lost your first name and called yourself the, disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Well, hey man, that's all of us, but that's me, he says. It's me. It could be all of you too, but it's definitely me. You know, it becomes his identity. And he comes and he rewrites Genesis and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, he says the same thing as Genesis 1. Yeah. And he also says, all things were made through him. There's nothing that was made that was not made through Jesus. So what does that mean about Jesus? He's the creator. Who else is he? Yahweh. Embodied. Yeah, but he's the son of God. I know. I know it's a mind bender. We're not Pentecostal holiness folks around here, but I'm telling you this. Jesus is fully God. Yeah. Verse 5, what I was praying this morning for our brothers, is like, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. It does not comprehend it. So here you have this perfect layering with Genesis 1. If you ever heard me talk, I do this a lot because it's like it's so important. This unlocks everything in life. Everything. Everything in the Bible gets unlocked here. We make a mistake by interpreting the Bible from the wrong key, from the wrong direction. But it starts here, right here. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this person is the interpretation, the commentary, which is all the epistles, the letters, and all of the Torah, all the law and the prophets, you know. And the light shines in the darkness. He shined, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It was contrary, but they never fully understood who he truly was. If the rulers of this world, the principalities and powers, the dark rulers that govern things, the spiritual Illuminati, if you want to call it like that, just have some fun. But it's like if... If they would have known, it says, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. It didn't say Illuminati, but that scripture is in there, 1 Corinthians 2. And it's like, if they would have known who he was, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, they didn't comprehend it. They didn't realize Yahweh's walking around, doing things. And when we see him this way, we realize we're not covered by gentle Jesus in his mandals, protecting us from the wrath of the harsh father. We realize that Jesus, as it says in Revelation, was crucified before the foundations of the earth. It means this thing of love in, inside of God was settled concerning us before time and space. This is always who he is and always who he was. And so then we read the Bible and we read through the scriptures and everything that contradicts this. And some things seem to do so, right? They seem to give us trouble sometimes when we read the Bible. They challenge the reality that God is love. We take, we take those thoughts that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God, who He is, and we submit them to the person of the Lord Jesus. See, this is Scripture, right? 2 Corinthians 10. It's like we, we submit them to like, wait a second. But this is who I see in you, so there's something more here. And so today, and I felt this, uh, maybe this was like Monday or Tuesday, I felt this um, as I was reading this just myself. I felt this passage, and I have this joke that I like to do messages like this quarterly, 
um, because of forgiveness and certain things that, that bear cause or unforgiveness that cause people to bear bad fruit in their life. It seems like every time I do it, it's just, it's such a hitter, you know, and it's cool to just watch our, all of our minds come through the Bible because it happens to me when I'm reading it, just begin to be unlocked with the process of walking with the Lord. And I'm confident it will happen today. I, I well, I, I hope now. Um, but, um, I wanted to do Mark 11 today. So we'll be there. It's pretty simple. But it's a story that kind of challenges this view of God being no shadow or turning, James 1, you know, all light, all together lovely and good. But it's the story, if I cliff notes the story, it's the story that seems like it points to Jesus um, basically flipping out and being hot-headed. And I'll even say this, losing control. And like we can read this scripture, especially with the, the, the mentality of the bipolar Godhead and just like, oh man, you know, the judgment that is to come. And we can read um, Mark 11 and we can think about this ministerial trip with the disciples. And it kind of starts good. He's riding on a donkey, which is, you know, that's obviously some God stuff because the you know, most stubborn animal in the world and he's riding on one that's never been saddled. So that's good. But, um, but you know, this... This Jesus showing up on this specific little passage, and he's going to get some, it appears to get some figs off of a fig tree, right? But it doesn't have any for him. So he gets kind of ticked off about it. And he basically, well, as Peter says, because Mark is written by Peter, or quoted by Peter, but basically curses the thing, you know. And it's like, so you see a side of you, it's like, whoa, he comes talking trash to a tree. <laughs> And it ends up shriveling up and dying because he was hungry. So it's okay when you're, when you're in a carnal mode, when you're hungry, to be a little grouchy, right? So we can justify some of the traits of Adam because even Jesus dealt with them. That's not true. I'm just saying some misconceptions. I don't even like saying that, but you know, that, that's some of the misconceptions. Then he comes in. Then he comes to town. And you think that's something. He comes into the temple, and he really acts wild in there. He loses his cool so hot that he starts turning tables over. You know, one passage, you know, he's making an Indiana Jones whip, whipping them animals out of the way, screaming, flipping stuff out. Like, I mean, and in our mind, we're picturing this guy like, whoa, this is like the good guy. Let the children come to me. You know what I mean? This is the good guy. And now his bloodshot eyes, you know, veins in his neck, doing deadlifts on tables, cleaning jerk. Bang, bang, bang. You know what I mean? And you're just like, whoa, this is not, this is, this is wild. You know what I mean? And so I can see where this could be a challenge and it can kind of contribute to the very things that we think like, okay, so this is the wrath of God. He, he has this side to him. And that's something about being people who are created or beings created in the image of God. That's our calling is to be the imagers of God. To be so transparent now in the new covenant, filled with the Holy Spirit, that people see God through us, through our lives, and manifest by His fruit. And that 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we like to say a lot, like the glory to glory passage, is like, as we behold Him without a veil over our face, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And so it's not just Christianese, how you doing, brother? Oh, glory to glory, you know, can't complain. You know, it's, it literally means as we see the glory and the goodness of who God is, without those misconceptions that he's bipolar or that he's, 
that he loses control, that he has a hot temper, that he's all these things, that he hates religious people. Ah, I, hate, I hate church. You know what I mean? There's people that literally take that upon themselves. And they become Facebook warriors or, you know, whatever it is against the church, you know, whatever, you know. But when we see without the veils, without the preconceived notions, without bad theology, without our own personal experience flooding in from the, from the nature and the roots of Adam, and we see him as he truly is, it actually causes a transformation to us. And then we more accurately reflect him as his imagers. It's the only religion, right? I know people don't like that word, but it's the only religion where we're actually transformed by what we see. By seeing him. Not by what we do. Now, it's a chain reaction that usually, you know, it causes us to do things differently. But, you know what I'm saying? It's not by what we know, but it's like who we see in a knowing, in a relational connection. And so I wanted to, I was reading this, and, and usually I just kind of laugh through this one, uh, Mark 11, because it, it, it does seem like he's got some issues there. And it's like, well, he's coming towards the cross, so he's probably stressed out. It's about to really go down. But, you know, then there is this scripture in, in you know, Hebrews, I believe it's 12, that talks about for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He was excited about getting to accomplish what he was going to accomplish. You know, he despised the shame, but he was excited about what was going to happen. He's drinking the Last Supper with his guys. And he's like, I've longed to do this with you guys. That's not like, he's not like taking a cup like this, handshaking for the podcast listening. You know what I mean? He's, he's like, I've longed for this to happen. The final Passover, the real one that's been prophesied by this. And I'm setting something new in front of you guys. This is, he's, he's fired up about this thing. So Mark 11, I'll, try, I'll probably move through it quickly. I'll start in verse 11 because we've seen him riding on the donkey in there. And um, it says, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple when he first got into town. So when he looked around at all things as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, so I was like, oh, wait a second. I thought we were talking about him flipping out into the temple. It's like, no, 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 this is the day before when he went into the temple and he looked around. Very specifically that it's written there. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's interesting quote right there. And it's, and it's, it's probably going to come in handy real quick, okay? So the next day, when they'd come out of Bethany, he was hungry. Okay? Seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves... Hey, it's blooming early. Must have fruit. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And then they went on to Jerusalem. So here are these little Easter eggs kind of setting up the story. And it's just like we just drove through Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. And he's like sitting in front of the telecom, like, come on, man. And he's like, no one's ever going to eat at this restaurant again and pulls off. And it's like, to me, it's like, it's not even the season for figs. Like Chick-fil-A is not open on a Sunday. And you're sitting here because you're hungry and then, and then you want to speak that. And then we leave and that just seems really random. But he's 33 years old, just about like he's been here his whole life. So he knows the season for figs. He's from this region. He, he knows this thing. You know what I mean? So they're just making notes like, what's this guy's deal? He's kind of strange at times to them. But everything he does, remember, the rulers of this world that would have known they would have never crucified the Lord of glory, and 
The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness does not comprehend it. Everything was being recorded. Everything that he was doing was a prophetic act and a sign and a picture of what he was coming to accomplish. You know what I mean? The prophets in the Old Testament, if you read some of them, I won't talk about some of it, but some of the things they did prophetically was not just with their words. They would dress or act or walk around in a certain way or lay on a certain side next to a, you know, a, a little mock version of a building. You know, they would do little things as prophetic acts that were symbolic for people. It's like our dream language or angelic visitations or any of these types of things that are in the Bible and even in New Testament Christianity. It's just like there's always a picture is worth a thousand words, they say, right? So anyways, Jesus lives this way and we watch him like this. So let no one ever eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples are probably like, ah, you know, not quite the season for that, but okay. You know, they're just like, man, he's, he's, that's interesting. They came to Jerusalem, so when Jesus went into the temple, he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. So the selling of sacrificial animals and the exchanging of money, which most theologians will, will basically agree was, you know, the, the ones that had uh, the Roman emperor's face on them, who was God, you know, he was the son of God and God and all these different things. Um, so they didn't really accept those at the temple, but they exchanged them from this, a word that's kind of actually hard for me to say, so I'm not going to try to say it, but this other, uh, I'm going to try to say it, is this Tyrian tetradrachma, okay? Uh, so, yeah, so they exchanged them for those things, which were actually, you know, had a little bit more weight to them, so it was kind of a good exchange rate for the temple boys, you know, so they were kind of pulling that thing, you know what I mean? So there was all kind of sketchiness going on. Um, but he, he starts flipping those guys' tables, driving all these animals out again, and acting in a way that we see as like, you know, just a, a loss of control. And, and like, I just can't take this religious system, and, you know what I mean, any, anymore. Which, you know, there was probably some heat there. But, you know, at the same time, um, it's obviously not a loss of control because we just read two verses back or three verses, four verses, that he went into Jerusalem, went into the temple, and he looked around at all things. So he was casing the joint. Like, I'm going to flip that over tomorrow. I'm going to do this. This ain't going to work. That's not going to work. And that's not going to work. There's, here, there's a crime of passion, right? When you do something because you got a little emotional. But when it's premeditated, it's a whole nother level of charges. This is a premeditated attack. He's, he, he came and said, he's like, mm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip all that around. So, yep, that's going to happen. Um, and he would not allow anyone who was carrying wares to, um, to go through the temple. In verse 17, Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? Usually when they would teach, they would sit down, especially him. Um, but you have made it a den of thieves. And so here, then he taught. You know, that's interesting wording. And then it, it, In my mind, I've always pictured it, and as he was flipping these tables, he was screaming, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it not written? Get, whoosh, you know, you know, like he's coming like that. But it sounds like he cleared the place out and sits down and then, he, and, and then it starts to have a teaching session with these guys. Doesn't sound like he was out of control. It says the, the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought, sought how they might destroy him because they were afraid of him. Because all the people were astonishing, astonished at his te teaching. So this wasn't like, ah, there's a panic. Like everybody gathered in, sat before him, and like he was, 
doing like this. It's like, oh, okay, so it's not as chaotic as maybe I've thought, and it definitely wasn't him losing his control. When evening had come, he went out of the city. This is a big, this is a lot of people there. Holiday weekend for them. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So not only did it still not have any, you know, it was dried up all the way into the ground. It was like, it was like, yeah, it was wrecked. You know? Yeah. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, like, look, the tree which you cursed, which it doesn't say that he cursed, it says that he answered it. That's the real translation. It says that, like, when he saw it had no fruit, he answered it and said, let no one ever eat of you again. That's interesting. So this is, you know, but he's like, man, the, the fig tree that you cursed has withered away. And Jesus says, has, have, I love this. It's like, have the faith of God within you. Have faith in God. Something we're called to carry. I feel like there's a heavy metal playing in here or something. That's our youth leader. All righty then. Um, <laughs> no. Um, was that Hillsong, young lady? Excuse me? Um, so Jesus answered and said to him, Have the faith of God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, this one hit me this week, believe that you, rece- you have received them and you'll have them. That, that we had, I took issue with that this week between the Lord and I. But, um, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, uh-oh, trigger. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. It actually doesn't say that. That's actually added in, in, in King James. But it's like, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. And, um, or verse 26 is added, but that your Father in heaven may forgive you. And it's like, this is interesting. This is interesting. We have a mentality that says it's okay to be triggered, to flip. Somehow that's been okay, even in Christian circles, to be triggered and manifest fruit that's not good. But many times deliverance or understanding comes and unlocks that type of mentality when we see like, hey, God's not like that, and if he's not like that and I'm created in his image, then I'm not supposed to be this way. Yeah. And so Jesus is doing these things that are actually very symbolic. One, with the, with the, the fig tree. Then two, with the, some Bibles will call it the cleansing of the temple. You know, it's funny that they say that. They like to, you know, kind of church and soften it up. Um, but then Peter's kind of astonished, like, whoa, that thing's withered away. And he says, hey, this isn't a big deal. Have the faith of God within you. There's faith, there's power, and there's authority to do things. It's like when you pray, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you've actually got them and received them, and it will be so. And I kind of wrestle like, whoa, 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 like I don't know how to, I don't know this, man. I don't go to Tony Robbins seminars and stuff. I didn't like visualize getting what you're going to get that you're asking. You know what I mean? It's just like, 
whoa, this is a little bit too uh, supernatural. And it's not go lay hands on the Corvette that you like. You know what I mean? That's kind of how it's been made. But there's something to the son sees the father do what he does and does like, likewise. That's, that's our life, right? That's John 5. That was an Easter egg for us, you know. Then there's something else to like, Philip, like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, you know. There's something to these scriptures. It's like, if you truly know me and you carry my essence, then you make decisions and you ask for things that are in alignment with me. If two or three agree in my name, basically, not for what you want, in my name, according to my purposes. Like, if you're, if you're an ambassador of the kingdom, you have what you ask for because your will is, is, is to do the will of him who sent you. And like, there's, there's this agreement within your heart that when you see heaven that needs to be released on earth in different things, even in practical ways, you come into agreement with that by faith. You could throw mountains into oceans. It's like by faith, you come into agreement with the things in belief that you're actually causing, that you're wanting to step into and you release those things into this world. You know? And it's, and it's not that we lack the faith, you know, have the faith of God in you. It's like, it's, it's free, you know? When Jesus said, one of my favorite scriptures to, to teach when I do the forgiveness, is like, if you have faith this small as a mustard seed, you know what I'm saying? You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. But he wasn't talking about faith. He was talking about the authority of forgiveness. And in, this, and in this very chapter, he goes and he does that very same thing as he did. I think that's Luke 17. I've done that so many times here. That's usually my trigger uh, button that I do quarterly, but, you know, or ha every half a year. Um, but he says this, if you believe, if you have faith, you can walk in this miraculous power to manifest heaven on earth, and it will displace that which is here unrightfully, which that's what the fig tree was. Because he says, hey, listen, if you have this faith, and then he tags it. And whenever you stand in praying, by the way, if you have anything against anybody, forgive them. Like there's an asterisk by that stuff. It's like there's something with being so aligned with God, y'all. There's something with being so fully aligned in the spirit and with God. And one thing that actually jeopardizes that is unforgiveness in our hearts. You know what I mean? And when there's pain or unhealed wounds or unforgiveness that's in our heart, in our vessel, so many times the Lord is poking that button, trying to cause it to manifest so that we will give it to him because the healing of the new covenant has been released. And it's up to us to apply it. And it's very, it's, it's very profoundly simple. Luke 17, he's like, it's impossible that, offenses, um, that no offense should come, but woe to him by... Who, who it comes. Take heed, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day, returns to you saying, hey, I'm sorry, then you shall forgive him every time. To which the disciples told the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's walking around with the disciples and he's giving them the same drill that he's giving right here when he's talking about prayer after this cursed fig tree, after he's flipped out in the temple, allegedly, you know, and he's saying, hey, there's something very serious before I'm handing the reins over to you guys. And that's this. If somebody sins against you, even if it's seven times in a day, you forgive them every single time. 
it harms you more than them. And I'm the, I'm the dumb disciple that's saying, hey, by the way, if, if he does it seven times, every time I say I forgive him, that means he's not very sincere, so why should I forgive him? He says, I didn't say to trust him. I said, forgive him for your own heart's sake. And so they're like, oh, you've got to increase our faith. And he's like, increase your faith? This isn't about faith. This is a choice. This is a discipline. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the ocean, and it will obey you. You know? He's telling them that this isn't about faith. Faith as a mustard seed, that was bad talking. Faith as a mustard seed can accomplish the miraculous in the world, but your heart must be aligned with me. And if there's unforgiveness within you, you will be triggered by things and you will manifest things that are not me. And you will disqualify yourself from the power and the authority of God because you'll never fully be able to come into agreement with it. We did the prayer last week, right? Uh, Luke 11 last week. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Like true Christianity, usher heaven into the earth. Oh, by the way, and forgive us as we forgive those who has trespassed. It's like faith, it's, it's not this conditional thing like you didn't forgive. Oh, I'm not forgiving you either. That's how, it's, that's how it looks in our English language. But what he's saying is like forgiveness is an alignment you can stand in and under, which puts you in a place of authority. But if you refuse to release it, you've stepped out of the alignment of this covenant, which is where you have authority and power. And the bipolar view of God makes us think that he's a certain way that he's not. And it causes people to walk in shame. You know what I mean? The, the religious system, that tree that represented the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which looked big and successful, but it bore no fruit. There was no fruit on it. And it poisoned people. I'm pro-life, so Jesus is causing death for the first time. And I'm just like, yikes! What is this? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the representation of the, of the fruitless tree of religious system of, Ju of Judaism at the time. You know what I mean? And the fruit that poisoned everybody, let, let no one eat of your fruit again. That's his desire from us, for us, versus the tree of life. And we're, we're over here thinking God is. Man, the devil's done such a great job of that. This bipolar, raging, wrathful God. You know, Romans 1, like the wrath of God poured against all the ungodliness of men. And we've made it like the wrath of God's poured out on men. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like the ungodliness, the sinfulness, like he poured out the rage of heaven against everything that held his kids back. Not against mankind, against the very poison and the tree that was holding his kids back from him. And he walks into a temple where people are saying, ah, ah, not so fast. Switch the money, because that has a, a God on it, and it's a good exchange for us. You can't come into your father's house until you pay to come in here, which is a reminder that you're not worthy to be in here, and actually buy some of these doves and cut them and walk through them and do all these blood sacrifices and do all these little things so that your dad will let you come home. You know what I mean? The very fruit of the poison of that fall. Can you imagine having kids, if you have them, and like them coming to your house for the family reunion with all their family and all their kids. You know what I'm saying? Your family. But there's people at the door that say, ah, stop. You can't go inside and see him yet or her. There's an outdoor shower. Take all your clothes off. Be humiliated. 
shower because your stench and the filth that you walk in is not worthy to be around your parents. If I found out somebody brainwashed my kids like that, your boy would come after that shower with the chainsaw. I mean, it would just be like, I would flip it over. Like, no, you don't do that to them. I don't care if they smell like, you know, whatever, the worst filth, or, or you know, if they got dirt all over their feet. I, I kind of care about that with my girls now. Like, walk out, dust your feet off. No. But you know what I'm saying, man? It's like, there's, there's like no, you don't, you're not going to use things to separate them from me and to enforce shame. Hey, by the way, did you realize you're a sinner? Yeah, somebody at the door to be like, hey, by the way, just so you know, <laughs> just so you know, you know, if it wasn't for some other things, like he wouldn't even look at you. You wouldn't be allowed in here. I want you to know that. That's who you are. But come on in. What is this? Demonic. A perverted view of the scriptures that grips the world. You know. Ah! No. <laughs> You know, like, like, look, man, like, and so here Jesus is manifesting something altogether different. And they're just like, fig tree, like, Chick-fil-A is not open today, man. Well, nope, and ain't the season for fig. You know, everything he's doing is a prophetic sign. The light shine in the darkness. The darkness doesn't comprehend. They didn't fully understand the mind of the world. You know, even the disciples didn't understand until a few days out. Not even a few days, longer than that. I don't think they understood till even longer than that. You know, I don't think John fully understood until he was on Patmos. And it was like, hey, I was, I'm the ancient of days and all these things. I hold the seven stars. You know, I've got fire in my eyeballs, but it's like, I, I was also dead, remember? And I'm alive forever. Like, that's me too. It's like, oh, you know what I mean? Just mind just spinning around. You know what I mean? So Jesus, but you're God, but like, gosh, I'm so much more comfortable around you than your dad or my dad or what, you know what I mean? It's like, ah, you know, all these things breaking off of us. And we see these scriptures like in Hebrews, like you can come boldly before, not Abba, you know, like to, for his throne. <laughs> to, like, like, that's really pushing it. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Like, like yeah, don't, don't neglect your con. Y'all, I've been... I will just share myself, like, I've been rebuked so many times by the Lord over the years, so many times, concerning confidence. And it's not a rebuke like we would think, like, the, the football coach, you was wrong, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, like, be confident. And I feel like that's, and it's, you think, you think of a rebuke as something harsh, it's like, hey, like, for all of us, everybody that deals with religious mentality, it's like, hey, boldly come to me. Approach me. Don't let, don't, don't make the bikini, the mankini, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Don't make the fig cover. You know what I mean? The leaves. Like, it's like, look, like all this stuff that you feel like you've used to cover yourself to be okay around me. The blood of these doves and this money changes and all these things you to buy your way in. It's just like, don't get caught into doing that. You never needed that before. You don't need it now. And I'll prove this. I'll show you this. This is what I think about this. So if Jesus thinks that way, what does that mean God thinks? Oh yeah, Jesus is God. So the heart of God's actually going in there and actually overturning things and changing the game. Cha not even changing it, shedding light to the reality of what's going on there. And he's actually dismantling shame. Don't be ashamed. Like, I'm the one who has you covered. And John's like Jedediah. Like, I'm 
I'm the beloved. I'm the one Jesus loves. Imagine walking around with that level of covering and wholeness. Seeing him as he is. And imagine manifesting the power to, to, to release the same kingdom. You can uproot trees. You can uproot this religious mountain. You can throw it in, like, you could, you could baptize this thing, man. You can baptize those trees. You can put them underwater, out of sight, out of mind. Like, you have the power to make change happen in the world. You have this same authority. This is my heart. Now go forth in it. Oh, and by the way, there's something that causes you not to. <laughs> and that's unforgiveness. Make sure that doesn't take any room in your heart. Because where there is pain in you, like David says, Psalm 139, you know, test my heart, like look into me, see where there's any hurtful way in me and lead me into the ancient way, the Jeremiah 6, the ancient paths, the ancient way that God's, like who you were before the foundations of the earth in him is who you truly are. And it's a confident place. Imagine walking through life that way as the beloved, never concerned with yourself. Never concerned with being covered before God or with other people. Because once you realize you, you're fully in light with God, you know what I mean? You're fully accepted and loved. That level of love trumps every other insecurity in this world. Every other front that we put out there to get our needs met or to stay safe or to appear successful or to appear this. Or, you know, all those things that we can struggle with at times, but they are, they are, they are, there's a root there. And the Good Shepherd leads us around this life. And these roots, they cause us to have triggers. Jesus said in John 14, 30, he said, The ruler of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. This is the night he was going to Gethsemane. He's like, the ruler of this world, like Satan's on his way to come and get me, but he doesn't have anything in me. He has no button. There's no trigger. You're going to see me here. You're going to see me there. And then you're going to see me resurrected. And I will never change my personality. No matter the... Striking my face, pulling my beard out, stripping me naked, whipping me in the back. Even if I'm in excruciating pain, haven't had food all night or water, I'm sweating blood. Like there's no, there's no variance or shadow within me. It's always going to be me. He wants me to strike the world to prove to the world. See, he wants to strike you, but I will never strike you. I will only say, Father, forgive them. That's the only thing. That's the only thing they don't know. Even the offenses, imagine if the offenses are the pains in your life. Some of you had them probably this week. Things coming in our minds randomly about old relationships, right? About an old coach, a parent, a girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, you know, whatever it was, a neighborhood. It could have been something in junior high. And those memories still randomly surface in the middle of the day sometimes. When we walk by and we look in the mirror and we're kind of like, yeah. They ain't going to do that to me again. You know, those types of things, man. Those types of things. The Lord allows things to manifest in our psyche, in our mind, in our life because He wants us to release forgiveness because He wants no pain left in our heart, in our body, in our vessel so that there is no trigger no matter where we walk in this life. And if there's no trigger, we'll never lose control. A triggered person somebody that loses control. It's like somebody cuts you off. You know, it's like, ah, you know, it just pops out. I, okay, I shouldn't have done that. But I, but I almost feel like I couldn't control myself. Somebody said this to me at work, and I was like, Psh, you know, just ah, chip diamond or whatever, you know, just lash. And it's just like, wait a second, like we're not supposed to have those triggers, so what are these things? And we can walk through life in wholeness that is brought and pay, bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus, by his cross, by what he's done, 
so that we can come back in full alignment with him. And our job in this is Jesus saying, oh, by the way, I want you to walk in such immense authority that you transform this place into the reality of heaven. But make sure, make sure there's always forgiveness. Because if there's forgiveness, there's, he will have nothing in you either. So no matter what happens, it'll flip on its head. You'll always give life. This is what mature Christianity looks like. It is. It's somebody who's so whole that the evidence of God is in them. Evidence and fruit is the same thing. And the fruit of his spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. All these things are called to be our actual personality. We're called to be safe places for people. You know what I mean? No variance or shadow. Not this way with this friend group and that way with that friend group. You know what I mean? When I fit into this side or, you know, none of these. Like fully whole. And what does that mean? We're in fully alignment with our true father and our true identity. And by doing so, the, the inheritance of the sons and daughters of God, which is the family business, father in heaven, your kingdom come, we're the vessels of that reality. So, I have a lot of notes, but I didn't really use them. Um, I think that's good enough. Um, what I'll do is ending this the good news is Jesus isn't bipolar. All of his moves were calculated. The wrath of God was poured out against the ungodliness. And it was against that religious system. It wasn't long before he said, there were, there were man, these, these buildings are awesome. And it's like, yeah, not, not one stone's going to be left unturned on these buildings, guys. This whole thing's getting wrecked. And it was meant to be wrecked. Um, but there's something in our hearts that is so we're called to be so unoffendable that we're always able to even absorb contact and continue our mission we used to say that like people with a real strong core in like basketball or football could catch the ball or get go up high in the air and do these maneuvers and stuff where they would get hit in the air and still be able to come down they were able to absorb contact because their strength was in the right places of their body you know what i mean they were they were trunky stomach and hips and you know, it's, it's, it's in the Bible. It's in Job, the behemoth. It's like, these are the ways of God. Its strength is in its hips. Like, all this stuff is the Bible. But, um, you know, it, there, there's something to having, being rooted and grounded in the love of God. It's that strong core without an offended heart. Where sometimes we think, oh, the devil's been after me. I keep having these bad memories. It's like, oh, hey, man, maybe behold, Jesus stands at the door and knock. And he wants us to actually like, oh man, I, that's kind of silly. I'm mowing the grass, uh, listening to Def Leppard out here, or I mean, a Hillsong out here, and I'm thinking of some things that happened to me back in the day that make, make me kind of upset. Well, I wish I would have done this. And it's like, hey, wait a second. Maybe the Lord's allowing you to do this and see these things. Oh yeah, that's still there. I release forgiveness to Joe, Pete, Sam, and Linda, or who, you know, whoever in that situation. And, and I just bless them, Lord. Help them to grow, Lord. Like, help me not to hold on to that. Heal the pain that's in my heart over that. You know, whatever, whatever it is. Like, this is the process of, of walking in relationship with a God who is spirit and who is light. And who's wanting to take up full residence in all of our vessel. You know, John the Baptist said, he does not give the spirit by measure in John 3. Meaning like the spirit. It's like we're not praying, God, pour your spirit out. It's like the Holy Spirit has been fully given. And I even sometimes can picture him almost like this sphere of a bubble that hovers around every person that's willing to accept him and 
pull him and have him take residence in their vessel. And some people are 50 percenters. Some people are 10 percenters. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? But he can have as much room as we allow to not be occupied with the pains of offenses, bitternesses, things that cause trigger from our past. So that'll be my encouragement. Hopefully I worded that well enough, but it's just like, hey, like, understand the things that poke and prod and sometimes make that feeling of that drip in your stomach. Like when you have a memory, sometimes or many times, maybe never the time, that's not the devil. Maybe that's the Lord. He's like, I want wholeness in your vessel because you're called to carry the authority of heaven, release it on the earth. And I've also seen the things that we're unwilling to deal with, when they're small, they grow. You know, they grow and they grow. You know what I mean? And eventually they'll take the wheel. That's where self-sabotaging actually comes from. That's what self-sabotaging it is. It's usually just pain. It's just pain that hasn't been healed. And maybe, maybe even sometimes by ignorance, we haven't appropriated the true forgiveness to have a clear vision of what's going on there. And so that thing's been in the back seat just waiting. Used to eat Happy Meals, now it's at the Golden Corral Buffet, you know what I mean? Now he's just really, now he's big and strong. And he wants that wheel, you know what I mean? Yeah, facing things voluntarily in our life as they come instead of, you know, facing the things as they come up. And look at all things that work through the good for those who, are, who love God are, are, are walking with Him, man. Because it's like, oh man, I didn't realize he's bringing me into maturity. Then we see the things that are in our hearts is like, wow, Lord, you're, you're a good father. You're the good shepherd. You're leading me into authority and stuff. You've been shining your light on these things, not because how long is this going to plague me, because you want me to appropriate that forgiveness and ask you to actually come and fill those spots where pain touched me, and I can be more whole. And the more whole I am, the more of you that I will carry. And man, that... that that puts me in a place of the authority and power to actually walk in the calling and purpose and destiny that you've called me to walk in. It's good news. It's, it's the gospel. He says it all the time too. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that there's nothing in you. There was nothing in you. No button that the enemy could push to cause you to, to, to manifest some secret thing about you. You're altogether good and lovely. And that you love us all and you see us as the beloved, Lord. I ask that there would be a confidence in our household to pursue you and to know you. Not to turn a blind eye on the things, the issues of our hearts and, and all that stuff. But to walk with you in such profound light and truth. Like that you enlighten our darkness. You enlighten things for us to see you as you truly are. And Lord, I ask that we would actually embrace you in this walk as our shepherd to really step into the powers of the age to come, this reality that you've called us to manifest heaven as all those who've gone before us and transform this place, this town, in the towns where we live. Amen.